friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-host Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we are finishing up our time with Clark and his newest project, his newest book, The Magic System Blueprint. Last we left off, we were smack dab in the middle of creating a world of savage tragedy with dinosaur ghosts or... Actually, we didn't get to that part. There's definitely ghosts and there's definitely dinosaurs and there's definitely magic. And Clark, why don't you tell us where we left off? Yeah. So last time we had just talked about flux, which had been especially interesting because it it also brought us back to perspective. Because just a reminder, perspective is the angle or the boundary you're setting on your analysis of a magic system. So because we wanted to get the gothic horror element in, we are limiting the scope of our perspective down to a single unit of something. Nation, state, family, city. We don't actually know, but it doesn't matter. Just a single unit of something. And within that, the flux is negative because that's a big part of gothic horror is the decline and decay of of powerful things and whatnot. Uh, yeah, so that's what we had finished up last time, and we were just getting ready to start talking about naturalness. And Clark, I just want to remind everyone that as of this recording, you can still go and support Clark's Indiegogo campaign, which is still ongoing as we speak. So if any of what you're hearing today sounds good, if anything sounds helpful or useful to you, by all means, uh, there is a link in our description. Not only will you buy Clark's book and support him, but you'll actually get $10 off through our uh, listener link specifically. So by all means, if you want to save some money and learn a hell of a whole lot about creating magic systems, you can go ahead and support that. And then if you wanted to take that 10 bucks you saved and like, I don't know, put it in the world built with us Patreon page, like nobody's going to stop you. It's there. Clark, that is just such an, <laughs> that's just, it's just such an excellent segue into us letting people know that remember that if you want us to build your world, uh, we do this every week and you can go ahead and submit a prompt that we will make for you on the worldbuildwithus.com website. There's a little radial button you can click that says submit prompt and we uh, will take that and then give it enough time. We'll absolutely do it. Of course, you can always follow us on Twitter to see when the newest episodes come out. And or just, you know, see our funny takes in general. We don't have too many, but they're there. Uh, or you can come join our discord if you want to talk to Clark directly. That's probably one of the best ways you can do it. He's always haunting around. If so, if you've got questions for us or if you want to talk about world building or if you just want to talk about bullshit, that's totally fine, too. And of course, if you want to feel particularly generous or if you've got an extra 10 bucks that you saved from, you know, some kind of magical world build system that's that's fine too you can always support us over on patreon now with the shilling out of the way we can finally get back to the fun stuff which is of course naturalness now clark can you explain to me what that is a little bit more for those of us who might not know it absolutely so naturalness is all about how natural or normal the magic is compared to the rest of the setting and it's all of this comes down per to perception, but it's whether it feels like an extension of the world around it or something that's aberrational and stands out. The example I like to give is druidic magic is generally going to feel like it has high naturalness because it's all about connecting 
and originating from nature. Whereas Lovecraftian stuff is pretty much always going to be low naturalness because that is the essence of Lovecraft. <laughs> yes. Which is why I'm advocating for our weird blood ritual magic to be as low in the naturalness spectrum as possible. Uh, really? I, yes. I know, I know that you hear blood magic and you think, oh, that's natural. I want this. I want it to be kind of a, uh, a fun struggle for us to figure out how and why something that comes from the blood is as unnatural as the cosmic cosmos beings from like Lovecraft. To, to question on, on this um, principle, uh, Clark. So it's, it's a natural and unnatural is from the perspective of the setting. So for example, it would, something that's very unnatural would be defying the inherent logic of the setting. Is that what it means? Uh, that is an example. It's from whatever perspective you're mapping from. So another way to think about it is if you are, when you are first exposed to a foreign language, good or bad connotations set aside, it doesn't, it doesn't feel natural to you. The new words and the new sounds that you're trying to make don't feel right. But then the longer you're exposed to it, the more natural it feels. That's part of naturalness is whether you see it as part of the world around it or as part of something else or something just different. So in our case, since our perspective is limited to a unit, naturalness could mean any number of things. It could be things that are natural within that family and within the environment that the family lives in. And low naturalness might actually be stuff that is just exotic and foreign. So some of the naturalness may be, or the unnaturalness might be that it is magical effects or creatures that are from an entirely different part of the world that don't seem to fit with their immediate environment. There's a lot of different ways we could go. It's like invasive to the context of the setting. So if, if in our case, we, we're saying it's local to a family or a region, and we're suggesting that it's possibly hereditary, so it would have to be the opposite of those things. Well, there's also another direction that we can take it, which is maybe the totems themselves are made out of a material that is not natural to the setting. Uh, maybe we can even have it be so, uh, you know, like the blood is the natural aspect of it, but the totems themselves, which can be, I mean, essentially that's kind of the source of power, isn't it? That's, so, that's yeah, go ahead, Clark. So you put us in a really difficult spot, Rob. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Now, because what I welcome, this is why we're creative and we're going to have fun figuring out this little puzzle. Because part of part of the fun of these two episodes is talking through the implications of this kind of stuff. Right. So Mm -hmm. if we cranked it up on naturalness, like to the high end, there are a, a wide number of implications that could come from that, because that means it would integrate smoothly with the world around it. We could make it more tied into how how governing bodies work, how animals work. There may be similar, similar symbiotic connections happening between other pairs of animals out in the wilds, besides just humans and their totems. Um, and that would open up a whole bunch of different opportunities in, in that realm. And that's court, sort of where we were drifting with a lot of the rules we were putting in place. Now, and this is part of what the blueprint is useful for. You can start to see when some of these things are a little jarring and are going to take a little bit more work. And this is one that would definitely take a little bit more work. So we could work on making it unnatural 
in any number of ways in terms of the the totems used, like the actual material used for the totems. The animal used for that specific bloodline could be something that's wholly unnatural. The type of magic and the actual magical effects could be really otherworldly and bizarre and possibly a little mind-breaking. Um, in fact, we could tie that. That would actually that would fit really well with the gothic horror element if we went that route where this unit's power is the unnatural part. So everything seems normal, but then the magic they're actually getting from this bond is weird and unlike anything anybody has ever seen. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I think that the best way that we can kind of do that, Clark, is I think we would probably do best is to focus on the unnaturalness of the magic itself. Um, if we can make the effects of the magic, because we really haven't talked about that as much. Uh, if we can make that as like, strange and as haunting and as like horrific as possible. I think that'd be really fun. I, I actually just had a very interesting idea on in how we could do that. One of the things that we said, right, was that the flux was negative. Mm-hmm. Maybe part of that negative flux is, this is a little strange, but maybe what is draining away is some of the more natural and acceptable elements of the magic. Mm-hmm. And what little that they have left is this weird, otherworldly stuff that nobody wants to touch with the 20-foot pole. I, I like that a lot. And I was also thinking, um, as far as like the origins and the magic, since we've got the Stone Age setting and dinosaurs and all that, like just thinking of like meteors and like stuff oh. kind of coming in from outer space and like what if that was the the origin of it? And what if over time that's been like gradually contaminating things and like growing kind of stronger and stronger in itself and overriding like the natural so many, features. So many fun routes. It could be an ancestor made a totem out of meteorite and mm-hmm. then just everything yeah. went downhill since. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's what I was thinking as well. We could have like I, I love the idea of the totems themselves being made from these uh from from the meteors. I think that's mm-hmm. a really, really fun and smart idea, Courtney. This totem may or may not be the bone of an elder god. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I think of meteors, I think one of the coolest things that we can probably do with it is have it be like literal pieces of gods that have rained down upon the planet. That would be cool. Yeah. And that's what happened to this family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, Well, I think that we should probably also like focus on the effects of the magic itself as well, Mm -hmm. because that's something, like I said, we haven't touched yet. And I'd like to have some semblance of an idea of what that looks like before we continue on. We we can definitely brainstorm about that because that is one of the things that the core blueprint itself doesn't touch on much Mm -hmm. because the effects and limitations, while vital to a fully functioning magic system, are they're a big part of what makes each system unique. And the blueprint is focused on the high level universal attributes that Mm. all magic systems have. But yeah, we can absolutely do some quick brainstorming to come up with some weird effects. So I don't know what kind of stuff you guys got. Well, I, I do want to continue on with the idea. If we're making the, 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 one of the pillars to be savage tragedy, I would love for that to be in, I would love it to be uh, evocative of the magic itself in some way. 
So when I think of this weird otherworldly magic, I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking like curses, maybe. I'm thinking like a withering, like a literal magical withering that's happening as well. But that's that's fairly small in scope. I was thinking that people might have other ideas. I think there could be some very interesting things we could pursue in terms of like uh, beguiling and enchanting type stuff, where at least if we're if we're pulling hard on the Lovecraft strings, a lot of that is going to come down to weird repercussions and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it could be that part of this family's power is just this charisma and force of personality that they're able to generate with their magic. Uh, the downside is that that slowly turns people into a bunch of Renfields and madmen. So the people who are slavering for the blood of this ancient line, they're all being rotted and corrupted by its influence. Oh yeah, that would be cool. Mm. See, now I'm just thinking, oh, now I'm just thinking that this may be what actually caused the darkest dungeon. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> glad that you went darkest dungeon, Clark, because nice. that's where my brain went to. I'm very glad. Um, have you played the DLC? The Butcher's Circus? No, not the PvP one, the the uh, the the mosquito vampires. Yes, yes I have. Okay. Yeah, cuz that's exactly where my brain went. Is is like, oh, we could definitely have this be like this is a rotting imperial family or in this case I suppose it would be a clan, right? Because if yeah. we're thinking like in terms of stone age, you know, it's not like we're looking at, you know, this beautiful mansion on a hill. This is going to be like a clan in a stone age setting where it's like, Oh, it's dark. And so it, it actually, you know what this is in my brain, this isn't darkest dungeon. This is darkest jungle, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, I think uh, like beguiling influences things where they're, where they are actually tampering with life force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think where we can show a lot of the unnaturalness is going to be the actual corruption of the of the family of their creatures and of the people around them and basically anything they touch with the magic starts changing which is really cool in the naturalness scale because they are using they would still be using magic that is still very natural but is they are now getting very unnatural results well and to Mm -hmm. be clear like um when we talk about how it's unnatural for them we don't literally mean um it defies you know capital n nature we mean it defies their standard for the norm as a family and so the effects don't necessarily have to be i mean although the setting demands something horrific because that's the it's supposed to be a tragedy that's that's ravenloft-esque um the effects don't necessarily have to be horror they just have to result in horror thematically because the opposite of, of, of nature for them is something that's opposite of whatever their family is about or does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this could be how the ghosts show up, honestly, if that's part of it, is maybe maybe ghosts aren't actually normal. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's part of what's going wrong with their magic, is it's, it's defying some expectations that way. I mean, I guess we have to ask, what is it, what is normal for this family? Like, they're a prehistoric clan that's trying to exist and everything but what is normal for them so that we can subvert that i don't know we can set it to pretty much whatever we want so i think one of the really enticing things to me is maybe the magic itself doesn't appear to be unnatural 
but what happens to the people, maybe even the earth or the animals themselves make it warp it to an extent that makes it feel unnatural. Yeah, and to bring back something that uh, Daniel touched on, the really important part is it needs to seem from the perspective we're taking, since we're looking at it from the perspective of the unit, that means what is happening needs to seem unnatural to that unit. Mm -hmm. So that means something has changed where they've had their magic for however many decades and it has performed in just such a way. And all of a sudden their own power is unfamiliar and strange to them. We, we talked about um, that this, this power they have is something like a God that's being, or an entity that um, is like an infection, I believe in the previous episode. So, I mean, that we know what that means literally, but what does that mean like thematically? Like, what is it perverting about what they care about or know? That's a very good question, actually. Where does the tragedy part come in? I think is like, really what you're asking here, right? Yeah, and like, who are they? Like, as a, yeah. as a group, like, what do they care about? Yes, absolutely. And I, yeah, that would, you definitely have to hammer that out for the story. And this is where we would really be able to help reinforce reinforce those elements um right now i don't know because we could do anything we could do so much well they're a prehistoric family right so what are some concerns that prehistoric peoples could have i mean they're not fundamentally different than our people but i mean they are dealing with a different reality than we are yeah uh, maintaining food dealing mm -hmm. with uh, another another clan rising to power mm -hmm. losing territory um Loss shelter. of standard hunting grounds or prey. Mm -hmm. Courtney's at having children, right? Uh, shelter. Yeah. But also, yeah, reproducing yeah. too. I think that there's something interesting about one of those aspects being taken away from them. Who? let's go with, what if we want children? Because that could lead to yeah. pretty much a lot of horror. I was thinking that too. Like, what if it's corrupting the newborn infants? Like, yes. The mothers yes. have something wrong growing inside of them. Oh God, yes! I sorry, I already <laughs> love this so much because yeah. <laughs> it just reminds me of all of those those terrifying like changeling tales, mm -hmm. you know, of mm -hmm. uh, children being swapped out for something else. Mm -hmm. uh, I imagine that they're probably they could be dealing with all kinds of stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I love that so much! And it wouldn't even have to be like dramatic at first. It could be a very slow like, oh, that's weird. This kid like doesn't look like either of the parents, or like their eye color is a bit odd and then as generations go on like something is very clearly wrong or even as the child ages it's like yeah are, god thing they're definitely the not children oh yes mm. and the horror so one thing that's pretty interesting is in a lot of gothic horror it's usually focused on the youth and the younger generations who are experiencing the horror from the mm -hmm. fall of their family this setup lets us have that kind of gothic horror but twisted around where it could be the uh the patron or the heiress or the um the matron of the mm -hmm. line who yeah. is dealing with this horror as she's seeing all of these people grow up and being like you aren't right <laughs> yeah i love the idea of it being like a grandmother type figure who's like been around for you know decades and has seen seen this going on and it's easy to, to make that work with the meteors because that mm -hmm. suggests that they're, it's probably perturbed as divine, but they're probably beings from somewhere else, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Cause then she's, <laughs> she's sitting there 
coming to the realization of I am the last legitimate person of my family. Everybody else yeah. is now these things. Well, on that incredibly uh, poignant and thematically appropriate note, I think that we should probably switch on over to one of the other uh, parts of the blueprint. Clark, would you rather lead us into ease of use or reliability? Ease of use is probably going to be the, that's the next one in line and that's the next best one to tackle. So ease of use is all about how easy and intuitive it is to use the magic safely and effectively. And we've talked about that a lot in a lot of different ways, especially with how it's already tied to the magic um, Mm -hmm. between the magic and the blood. And we have some of this unnatural stuff coming in and all of that, unless Rob wants to throw a wrench in the plans again, it sounds like that's probably going to be lower ease of use with where we've been headed. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to do it with every dial and knob, <laughs> but like for, for some reason, naturalness to me, I'm like, I want that to be a fixed point because, you know, I thought it'd be an, an interesting point that we can kind of diverge and, and talk about and stuff like that. But I, I, I kind of agree. I think a low ease of use where it's like there is a very, or at least a fairly complex ritual involving blood totems animals and humans like that seems low ease of use to me it's not like you can just say a word and there's you know like a spell that happens right yeah plus factoring in like the safety aspect that clark had mentioned with ease of use like this is some corrupt magic thing it's not exactly the most safe thing to do oh absolutely i mean when every spell that you in every ritual you draw upon taints the world around you mm-hmm. with like some weird other otherworldly shit. Yeah, I, I, I would agree that that low ease of use is where we kind of want to stick with. It's also restricted, not restricted, but it's also like used primarily by one person, right? In their in their family. So that also adds to its difficulty. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, can, can we do a little, like, I, I think that the theme that we've kind of been exploring, Clark, is can we explore what it looks like in a high ease of use? Like what this would look like if yeah. with all the blood magic and everything like that in ease of use. It, so so what would that look like to you, Clark? Let's start there. Yeah. So some of the implications that we could take from this, especially mm-hmm. in terms of what it's going to mean for your story. So ease of use is predominantly going to affect how often people use it. Because mm. <laughs> if it's hard to use, they're not going to be using it a ton or using it is going to be a really big deal because they may be using it left and right. But every time they do it, they're risking killing themselves or other people. So if we really wanted to go into blood fueling the magic, it may be that you can only maintain magical effects for so long because you're draining your own blood and mm, you can't yeah. keep that up forever. All of that kind of stuff could push it to the low side by ramping up the danger. You could also ramp up the complexity like you had talked about with the rituals and maybe, and you could even strike a middle ground where once the connection is established, using the magic is relatively easy for the magic user, but establishing that connection, creating the totems and forging and fusing the bloodlines between the animals and the people, that may be extremely complicated. And Mm. that would more effect transference than ease of use but it they they interconnect now higher ease of use that means that they're going to be using the magic a lot more and then it's going to be more likely to be part of their everyday activities people are going to be more aware of it 
that's actually going to drive up a lot of the other variables that you have in the blueprint. Gotcha. Some of the ways that we could adjust that. One of the ways that I recommend is if you're doing that, you generally want to pull back on the scope and magnitude of the magical effects you're looking at. Uh, it's, you know, it's just kind of like with D&D, right? You don't want people throwing around ninth level spells infinitely because that's a problem and breaks the power scale. Right. You're looking at cantrips at that point. Exactly. So, right. yeah, pulling it back to that level makes it so that you can use it over and over again without causing any breaks or foibles in your world. Right. Unless, so, of course, that's kind of the conceit of your world is to have like everything is reality warping God level humans on like a, a, a massive scale, which I think would be incredibly chaotic. But, you know, that's that's just my. Yeah, right. And you can you can make absolutely anything work if you do it right. Allegedly. <laughs> if you do it on purpose. Uh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, just because I don't know how to make it work doesn't mean somebody else won't figure out how to make it work. Fair right? Enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, that, that's fine. Um, with the um, the idea of like having to have some sort of constant flow of your blood to make this work, or like something to that effect, where you're you're really draining your life force. I imagine there could be a lot of cool cultural things with like scarification mm. being a sign of how experienced you are as a magic user. Like if you're just covered with scars from like slicing yourself open then people like know not to fuck with you ritual scarification is absolutely a thing mm -hmm. yeah and we also pulled in a bunch of ritual sacrifice type stuff and blood sacrifice mm -hmm. type stuff and that could yeah. all mm. fuel into that um, mm -hmm. so, so this this is not an ease of use question this is more of a world building question but i want to know how people feel about the use of leeches as a magical component or like some way to preserve the blood? Like are these magic users in these families like constantly leeching themselves? So when they need to use more potent magic, they have like blood of their own on hand from these leeches. Alternatively, you could do like mosquitoes of some kind, which is again, makes my fucking skin crawl, but it's totally a thing that could happen. Isn't this a prehistoric society? Yeah, mm, but yeah. leeches and mosquitoes still exist. Or ticks. They're Ooh. in a jungle. Oh, ticks. yeah. Gross. <laughs> oh, that's also horrifying. Yeah. Because they, uh, they stay alive for a long time. So they could just gorge them and then store them. Oh, just that's like fucking a, gross. A bag of like ticks that you whip out whenever you need extra blood. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I I know I brought it up. I totally want to move on because I'm next gross variable. Yes, this is terrible. Yeah. Let's let's keep going. Oh, uh, yeah. Hard. No, thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, All right. Well, well the actually, next variable. Wait, 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 wait. Could you weaponize these things? So could you summon a swarm of mosquitoes on an enemy spellcaster? And, and, you know, like we could have an entire classification of like, or, or, you know, the classical D and D Sturge, right? Like that's, that's a classic D and D monster for a reason. Like I imagine that these types of monsters would probably have a lot higher prominence if we were to use the monstrous aspect. Anyway. Oh yeah. Uh, like anything's possible. And we could yeah. do one of the main poisons, maybe anticoagulants. Oh yeah. That's really just, interesting. Mm. Just to keep people bleeding. Mm -hmm. Or, or the opposite, like you, you literally cannot bleed. Like it's, it's like healing magic has a weird effect in this world where it's like, 
yeah, we're going to stop the enemy spellcaster. Just cast heal on him so his wounds close entirely so he can't draw upon open air blood, you know, that type of thing. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, there's there's a lot that we can kind of play with that's extremely fucked up, but I like <laughs> it and I'm here for it. Uh, Clark, what's next on? Are we moving on to reliability, Clark? Yes. So we have two more variables and then we have the types of magic to talk about. The Fantastic. next two variables, I think, are going to be pretty easy we'll see i'm probably going to regret that but reliability is the extent to which the magic repeatedly produces the expected results so putting that in an analogy from the real world that's kind of like chemistry versus psychology they're both sciences but Mm -hmm. chemistry if you replicate the exact same conditions you will get the exact same result every time psychology you can take two people and who are as similar as possible right down to their entire history, put them in the exact same conditions, and you won't get the same results every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the spectrum, with a lower reliability being unpredictable and high reliability being it is the exact same every single time and you know right. what's going to happen. So for a standard D&D campaign, we're looking at uh, medium to high levels of reliability like when you cast a fireball it's going to be doing varying amounts of damage but that fireball is still going to be the same i would say it's really high because Mm. there's very few spells there are very few exceptions where you don't know what you're going to get there are a couple of the like curse spells or prismatic spells prismatic spells demonstrably like more chaotic yeah and you have a couple magic items, deck of many things, or the wild magic Very table. True. Yeah, those would be your low reliability stuff, but overwhelmingly everything else is incredibly reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what you, what I think that this principle means is that a variable inside of a spell doesn't count as unreliable because we know the, the parameters of the variable, right? Gotcha. So if, if this is the case, right, a low reliability would be something like, I'm going to cast this with ill intent. Like it's you're focusing your will on an intention and then the magic itself manifests in a different way. Right. Like, so you're like, okay, I want to kill this person and the magic figures out a way that it's going to kill that person. That's kind of low reliability is what I'm. Yeah. Or completely random. It's like, I'm back against a wall and I need something to happen. So magic go and you don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. Gotcha. Something will. Um, So where do people want to put reliability for this type of magic system? I I had my two cents notched in with the naturalness. I'd like to hear what other people have to say. I'm inclined to go towards low um, just because we're already dealing with this like chaotic alien uh, mysterious source of magic. So like why not continue going with that in the reliability way where um, you don't quite know what you're going to end up with when you use this magic. You have a, a general sense or a hope, but ultimately um, it could backfire. Yeah, it seems aligned with um, the way that something that has a Cthulhu-esque um, temperament would work. And I think that makes perfect sense for the perspective we've taken from the single family unit. Mm-hmm. I think for them, it's definitely going to be medium, medium, low, especially compared to what it used to be. And the world as a whole, it's probably going to need to be medium high at the lowest. Otherwise, cultures, you wouldn't, 
it wouldn't be as likely for tribes to build their identity around this thing if it wasn't reliable and controllable. Right. Yeah, that's true. There's also something to be said is that because it's a, you know, a stone age level technology, it could just be that people haven't had enough time to sit with the magic and really master its intent. You know, this could be the, you know, training wheels magic essentially. And then as generations would continue, if this weren't in decline anyway, then there might be a greater mastery of how the magic might work. Absolutely. And we'll get to that a little bit more in the types of magic and We've we've talked about that before. I think we talked about that in the in my first interview with you guys. But they all get kind of connected. Hard and soft is about how much you know about the magic. Rational, irrational is mm, about mm-hmm. applying logic and assumptions. And then reliability is whether you get what you expect. And those three have strong connections because gotcha. the more you know, the more patterns you see. The more patterns you see, the more rational it becomes to you, and the more rational it becomes to you, the more reliability more reliably you can predict what you're going to get and the more reliably you can use it in the way that you want. Mm. So they're all distinct, but they do flow together. And that's how it works with a lot of the blueprint. Mm -hmm. So can we talk about a low or a medium? Do we want to set it at medium low? Everyone, does that sound kind of where we want to stick this or full low? Do we want to go full chaos? I think Um. medium low. Because yeah. if I was telling a story, I would still want them to have enough confidence that they were trying to do stuff, but right. couldn't necessarily trust it. But that's those are my thoughts. Right. So my question now becomes, what does the variability look like? So that actually leads into the last variable that we need to look at, which is consistency. Clark, it's like I read the book. Yeah. <laughs> It definitely makes this easy. Nice segues all around. Uh, Chris would be jealous. Oh, that's true. He's the master of the segue, you know. And luckily, oh. he doesn't listen to episodes he's not on, so he'll never know I'm shit-talking. Him, so. <laughs> oh. Well, next up is consistency, and it is different from reliability. Reliability is the repeatability of the results. Consistency is the extent to which the system can deviate from its own defined settings. So consistency is where we look at the error bars or the degree of flexibility that we want in all of these other settings that we have already placed. So if we wanted this to be an extremely consistent system, then we would need to cut out anything that made it seem more than medium low reliability, more than medium low ease of use, all of that stuff, we would need to cut it out. Oh. But if you do higher or if you do lower consistency, you have more wiggle room. It's like putting mm-hmm. larger error bars on your data to say the average value is this plus mm-hmm. or minus 60%, right? Yeah. Gotcha. So I'm al- I already know where Daniel is going to stand on this as the person who's always like, well, there's always an exception. There, like I imagine that Daniel's going to want this to be medium at the highest am i wrong i'm not sure i totally understand what consistency means so for example daniel one of your big things is like uh there's always the exception to the rule right so it's like if i say in my world the gods cannot die Mm -hmm. then you would your one of your tenets for that world would immediately be well one of the gods is dead 
Right. Like, exactly. In, in a, I mean, you don't, you don't create a role unless you intend to violate it. Like, right. It, well, right. That's your ethos. That's why mm-hmm. I was expecting. But in a high consistency setting, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Clark, in a high consistency setting, that would mean that like once the rules are set, like there is no deviation from that. So if I were to say like, okay, Matt, this fireball does this thing, it it can't not do that thing. Is that correct? And it does that thing for everybody all right. across the world. Mm-hmm. How is that different than reliability? So reliability is saying I'm going to use this magic and I expect it to perform X way. Consistency, we're looking at the settings of the blueprint and not mm-hmm. not necessarily the consistency of the magic itself. So for example, we set right. the transference to medium low. If we wanted, if we wanted there to be places in the world where people had found a workaround that they could pass this ability around and make it highly transferable, that means the consistency of the system needs to be lower. Okay. So, so, so yeah, so it's like what Rob is saying. It's a violation of the very principle itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in this particular, in this particular instance with consistency, that means that once a rule is set, it cannot be broken. So your, your ethos, Daniel is essentially moot or, or your, your ethos is essentially like non-existent. So those exceptions to the rules would not exist in the highest setting, which I actually kind of agree that it's, it's not as exciting. I don't think as something where there are some exceptions or there are ways to work around the rules as they are set. It changes what you can focus on. Sorry, go mm. ahead, Daniel. I was going to say, like, yeah, I'd prefer there to be very few exceptions. So it would hmm. have to be some dramatic thing that manages to, to circumvent the fact that most spells are very, unre- very unreliable. Right. Right. And so, for example, with our setup, with the perspective of the family unit, the consistency may mean that what we've mapped out here varies from person to person. So mm-hmm. we talked about the matriarch and she's the last true person of her family because of this corruption that's going on right the magic for her may be very different from what we've mapped out because we've mapped out the average settings for the family and the family is now extremely abnormal so for her her magic may actually be reliable and much higher ease of use than it is for anybody else but because of the number of corrupted individuals, it's bringing down the average, so to speak. So, I mean, this this could also apply to, you know, and I hate to use this this uh, trope, but I mean, it's it's in fiction and it's popular for whatever the fucking reason. But like the idea of the chosen one who defies all of, you know, the normal rules, that would be something that's on low consistency, correct? Or at least moving towards that direction. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So consistency uh, is there kind of as a uh, a scapegoat or a flexibility bar if you don't want to tie yourself down. Because a lot of times when working with people, people will get hung up on making any statements because they will say, well, I don't want this to be true all the time. I want it to be mostly true. That's a big part of why consistency is there. It's almost... <laughs> To a certain extent, it's a mental loophole that people can use to bypass that fear of locking things down. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Let's see, so it's it's basically your like you were saying, it's your it's a dial for changing the algorithm itself. So yes. like, if there's an algorithm of the of the narrative 
and that defines how everything functions like right. all the all the functions underneath it changing that slightly would allow for exceptions as opposed to say an individual function that might have parameters that vary you know with the function right okay for those of us who are programming adjacent out in the crowd <laughs> yes no that's good that's very good yeah and for example like with the marvel cinematic universe they have medium low consistency in my opinion because the they do it frequently <laughs> they break yeah. the rules yeah <laughs> well, well they break the they break the rules and how things work mm -hmm. between different people will change drastically the power levels between people are kind of on the same playing field not really especially I mean, lord of the rings is surprisingly similar in that it they we don't really i mean it might be that we just don't understand how magic works but there doesn't seem to be any consistency from right. spell to spell at least in from what I've seen, you know, right. in terms of what you can expect, like one hand Gandalf can resurrect himself and on the other <laughs> hand, he gets summon moths like there's not many parameters. Right. As opposed to Stargate, where we know anybody using the Stargate, the Stargate is going to function the same unless they have covered something about the technology, which that doesn't mean the technology changed. That just means we were ignorant, which yeah. anyway. Right. This makes me more see the more you talk about this, Clark, the more you are swaying me to the position that functionally, right, there isn't much of a difference between magic and technology. Where sure thematically, but I'm I'm really starting to as I'm seeing your principles function and you can examine like you just examined Stargate versus Lord of the Rings. It didn't matter that they're totally different um moods or themes, but you can analyze them the same way. So I'm I'm mm -hmm. I'm liking that. That makes me very happy to hear. <laughs> uh, you you should really take that as high praise as well, because Daniel does not budge very often on things. <laughs> I, I know. Like when I first came on, he was begrudgingly accepting of what I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you see, like once I see, like once you see results, you're like, well, I mean, this seems to work, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hard, hard to argue with results, right? Yeah. <laughs> So all I right, think Clark. all in all, it sounds like probably medium consistency. Just yeah, that's as fine. much yeah. flexibility as we I'm want. I'm fine with that. Um, let's. So I think that with all of that, we've we've knocked out the big ones. You have one more for us, Clark. What do we got left? Yeah. So the last one is the types of magic, which a lot of the time, types of magic is where I spend a lot of the conversation with people. We've mm -hmm. talked about that before, so you guys are mostly familiar with it. I did a real quick recap. Hard and soft is the percentage of the magic that is known or understood from the perspective you chose and rational and irrational is the ability to see and apply patterns in ways that actually work. So in this case, we've spent so much time talking about yeah. the world and how we wanted to tie all of this other stuff in at this point, I think we can analyze what we've talked about and determine which type of magic would be best rather than the other way around. A lot of times people will start with the types of magic and figure out, I want this kind of system, and then fill out the rest of the blueprint based on that. Here, we're getting to work in reverse, which is fun. Uh, so Clark, you're throwing around these terms like hard magic, soft magic, rational, irrational. For people who are not in the know, would you mind just giving a brief rundown of what those mean? Yes. So it's a, it's a quad chart. So it's two axes that are perpendicular to each other. One is hard and soft, and one is rational and irrational. The hard and soft, like I said, is all about how thoroughly the magic is explained or understood. So a hard magic system 
the majority of the system has been explained and is understood from the perspective you've taken. In a soft magic system, the minority of the system has been explained and is understood from the perspective you've chosen. And usually the way that plays out is if you have a large sprawling system, that's generally going to feel softer because there's more information to get across, meaning it's going to take longer to take it from a soft system to a hard system. Simpler systems are often harder systems, but not always. So the best way to think of it is as just a percentage of understanding. One of the examples I like to use, and I think I've talked about it with you guys, I honestly don't mm -hmm. remember, is if you have a table with two buttons on it, and that's your magic system. When you're just looking at the table, you have 0% understanding of what this is. I mean, maybe 10% because you're assuming you push the buttons for magical effects. You hit one of the buttons, and something happens. Fire bursts out of the ground, whatever. You now know 50% of the system. You know if I hit the red button, I get a gout of flame. If you hit the second button, regardless of what it does, you now know the entire system, assuming mm. that each button only has one magical effect. But I think you see what I mean. So there's, in softer magic systems, there's a lot more mystery as to how the magic functions, right? As to how it functions or even the scope of the system. Right. So uh, I think the iconic in, in Sanderson's Law, the essays that he writes about these systems, I think he gives Lord of the Rings as the kind of prototypical or archetypal soft magic system, right? Yeah, it is the poster child of soft, irrational magic systems. Right, right, right. And most of Sanderson's stuff is, those are hard systems. He tells you everything that people can do and the ins and outs of the system, or at least mm -hmm. the vast majority of it. Uh, and also in Marvel, we know what each individual hero does. We know what their powers are. Granted, and, new things will creep yeah. in o over time, but in the scope of a single movie, at least, we always know what they can do, or we learn very early on. They work hard to make it into a high level of knowledge and understanding before they carry on with the plot. Right. It's not like three movies in, Gandalf randomly comes back because he just so happened to have this power that was never explained before, right? Right. right. I mean, we even see the evolution of magic system within uh, within within one setting. Um, in Star Wars, we start with the soft magic system, and then as George Lucas screws things up with the prequels, it veers into hard <laughs> magic, just because of the introduction of things like midichlorines, which tries yeah. to make it more rationally based. And that is a really important note because the hardness, well, all of these variables, but especially the type of magic can and will change over the course of a book and over the series, unless mm -hmm. you're careful about how you present it. Because as you explain more, at least from the reader perspective, and again, this is where perspective comes in, but from the reader perspective, as they see more throughout the story, the system will start to become a harder magic system for mm -hmm. them. Unless you're taking pains to make it clear of like, yeah, everything that you're learning and everything you're seeing, that's, that's just a tiny little piece. Okay, there's there's an entire world out there and you're looking at a paperclip, just so you know. Right. So uh, let's move on to rational and irrational magic then. What, what, what can you tell us about that, Clark? Yeah, this one is interesting. I, I find it especially interesting. It's a little harder to explain so it's just about whether you can apply logic and rationale to extrapolate and predict unseen portions or unseen applications of the magic system 
that's what makes it rational. If it's irrational, then there's lots of details that are uncertain and you can't accurately extrapolate or predict without first being shown. One of the examples I like to use is from Harry Potter. They have the Expelliarmus spell, which we all know they can use to knock the wand out of a dueling opponent's hand. That's all we know. And because of Harry Potter runs, we can't expand beyond that. We don't know if that spell will work against somebody holding a book, a knife, a gun. We just know it works against wands until we see them use it against somebody else. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because of how that world is built and presented. Right. So, for example, you could have a soft magic system that's rational, right? What would be an example of that? The example that I talk about in my book is Stargate SG-1, the technology from Stargate. And in fact, a lot of your tech is going to be soft rational. And the reason for that is because when you're looking at technology, especially technology of a civilization, however much you explore in a book or in a story, there is an implicit understanding that you have not seen all the technology that exists in that world. Therefore, it's a soft magic system. But when we see a piece of technology and we see what it does, it behaves like the tech as we understand it. So we can say, well, if that if that sword can melt steel, then they should be able to use it in this case, this case, this case, in this case, and will likely be right because throughout the story, the magic continues to follow those logic chains. Mm. So it's something like, so for example, to go full uh, to the... Um explainable side star trek would be a hard magic system with um that's that's highly rational that's what they shoot for yes <laughs> that's why when they do conform to what their um quantum physics advisors are advising i, I was going to argue on the grounds of uh techno babble but yeah, yeah. Uh, we can we can pretend i'm, I'm okay is- with pretending That is the feeling they shoot for. I think they Mm -hmm. probably hit that boundary between 50% hard and 50% soft because of what I talked about, where there's an entire universe there and Mm -hmm. they don't expect us to believe that we understand all technology that exists in that world. Mm -hmm. The assumptions the characters do and and also that the decisions they're making are rational and logical. Like They derive conclusions based on previous information as opposed to hunches and intuition, which yeah. I assume is what irrational would be. Like I have an intuition that my power will work this time because the theme is appropriate as opposed to Picard saying, well, we're traveling at this speed. We've tried this. Let's try that. That's rational. Yes. Intu- right. Intuition, duct tape, hopes and prayers. Right. And then there are episodes where people turn into iguanas for time reasons. And then <laughs> none reasons. of that is a hard magic system. And I'm like, yeah, Well, okay. I would argue even those, even though it doesn't make any sense, there is logic behind what happened. <laughs> but that's rational. And that's on the rational. Yeah. That would make it more right, rational. Exactly. And yeah, that also points magic. out yeah. how they shoot for, they shoot for a rational magic system. Mm-hmm. But their consistency is low. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. And then with with, tra- with with Star Wars, that's very irrational because it's all based on faith, the way that the Force works. Right. And, well, it's, it's, it's in a strange place. because be- there's technology and then there's the Force. Like you have well, if we're talking about the Force, the is what I mean. Oh, so the technology and the Force are, yeah. are separate right. things. Yeah. And, and yeah. that is one thing I wanted to mention is rules and physics aren't necessarily the same thing as rational mm-hmm. because yeah that makes sense uh, yeah. so like with the force we see somebody use a force push to throw a droid off an edge 
of a cliff or ship or whatever. And we can instantly come up with a dozen different ways to use that power and assume that they will work. That's rational. Now, right. if we if they then went and did that in one of those situations, like we saw them push the droid off the cliff and we're like, oh, that means he can push people off the cliff. They go to push a person off the cliff and the person doesn't move. That just broke our rationale and has shifted it towards irrational right. because we don't mm -hmm. understand why it worked in this case and not in this case. So now all we have is what we see. So could we argue then that Star Wars' magic is actually rational since it seems to have logical consistency? I, I think the Force is actually more rational than irrational, at least okay. for a lot of it. Mm. Um, it's Yeah, when you describe it that way, it makes sense in that it's not about um, yeah. how they perceive um, their magic functioning in the setting, but more, like you said, from the, from the perspective of the reader, does it, does, it, does it follow logically that this can be done? Right. right and right. the reason that's important is because this gives you flexibility to build any type of system and any type of belief about that system you want in your world while maintaining the actual type of magic system. You could build a rational magic system that has no rules, no scientific mm -hmm. backing or anything like that. But because of how it works, it feels very rational to the readers. Or the you Lord of the Rings one. is very irrational because that one we can't ever we never are able to predict how magic right. works in that setting. Right. Right. And we don't even know if they can do it multiple times. Um, right. One other thing I do want to return to when you talked about Star Trek, this comes back to perspective. So I would argue that as audience members, they try and make their tech seem soft, rational, because that's where most tech ends up. But from the character perspective, I absolutely agree with you. And to Scotty, it is most likely hard rational. Mm. Gotcha. And in fact, I guess know, it, yeah, it depends on like the viewer, yeah. right? Like it depends on how invested they are in the science. Like someone like right. me watching it, I can predict sometimes what their what what their course of action might be given what they presented, only because I'm familiar with you know the layperson's version right. of that. But the average viewer might be like, "Oh, that's neat, whiz bang," you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So now that we've uh, had a, a fairly exhaustive description of all of these axioms of the magic system, where are we kind of thinking our magic system that we've developed thus far sits on these axes? For me, I'm kind of guessing that we're definitely on the softer side of magic, considering we don't really know the scope. And as we've previously stated, we're dealing with reality bending cosmos breaking uh kind of magic with old god levels of magic so i'm guessing we're on the soft side yeah i was also thinking that we were in like a pretty squishy zone um where not much is really understood yeah mm. that makes sense to me and looking at the world as a whole from the creator perspective this is definitely a soft system because we've built it mm -hmm. so that we can throw in anything we want anytime we want by just being like oh well it's a different family different totem different bloodline mm -hmm. therefore different magical effect haha -ha. but in the context of the family it may have been a hard magic system to them once yeah but with yeah. the situation we've been discussing it's probably not that way now at the point in time yeah. we're looking for this gothic horror story absolutely because well the magic has essentially betrayed them so it is probably in mm -hmm. their minds from their perspective it has shifted pretty dramatically 
especially from like the matriarch's perspective yes. where like she's been alive for so long and she's seen it go from like this known entity that they can kind of control to like what is going on yeah right Absolutely. and as as a quick side thing because i find this so cool and fascinating if you guys or anybody using the blueprint is looking for something to do with their magic or how to integrate the magic into their story map it out pick any element on the blueprint and then change it and say by the end of the book or the end of the story it is over here or at this plot point it changes from here to here and you now have tons of conflict and things to explore mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely absolutely that's that's actually a really smart way to just immediately create conflict within any story that's a great idea clark because that's kind of what we did here is when the matriarch was born it was probably a hard a hard rational system for her mm -hmm. family and now she's dealing with a soft irrational system with people she doesn't actually know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so do, are you you're making the argument that the system that we've created is irrational i think if we're wanting to pull in more of the Lovecraftian stuff because Lovecraftian mm -hmm. tends to go towards irrational, yeah, because you yeah, can't really reason with it. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't. I mean, you wouldn't get much out of Gothic horror if your sorcerer knew that his fireball is going to do sixty-six every time. You know, like, <laughs> there just wouldn't be much fun with that from from any any perspective. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm just kind of. I'm just trying to mull this over in my brain because I'm like. Well, I'm thinking Shadow over Innsmouth in particular, right? Like that's mm -hmm. on the more rational side because you know you're going to continue to have, you know, like Dagon spawn after a while, right? Or, or am I misinterpreting that in some way? Well, I, I think that's from the perspective of that character, but we know that none of them know what's actually happening because Cthulhu's power is unknowable. Mm. And that is the other amazing thing about perspective is everything that we've built up we can deliver a different experience to the audience. Right. So mm -hmm. if the family as a whole is dealing with this soft, irrational system, we can carefully choose which character we use as our point of view character in order to control the presentation the audience experiences to give them a completely different magic system. Because if we told the story to them from the point of view of the matriarch, that is probably going to feel more soft, rational than soft irrational because when she's dealing with her powers she understands them and the amount of uh everything that she knows works the way that she expects and with ration and with rationale it's just what everybody else is doing that she doesn't know and doesn't understand mm -hmm. right so it's it's a matter of like the sound and the fury right where your world changes you know drastically based on the narrative perspective I keep thinking too in the setting to um, Annihilation, both the book and the movie, which is definitely like heart, like way over in the irrational zone where oh, yeah. um, the perspective characters have absolutely no idea what is going on and things are just being like corrupted and warped um, the further they get into like the zone that they're exploring. And I feel like that's kind of what is happening in our setting in a way where this this one particular area is just like changing and evolving in ways that the the matriarch or some other character can't really predict yeah hmm. and and the more that we think about it the more that i talk about it i like to think that they're because again savage tragedy right i like to think that because they're using these totems that's i mean we've talked about this previously but i want to really you know drive home the fact that 
the more that they use these totems, the more that they're calling these ancient, you know, like old ones into being more and more into their world. So they, by using the totems, by using the source of their power, they are in fact inviting chaos and corruption within their lands, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want to make that 100% clear. So Clark, I think, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, I think that we've kind of mapped out everything on the blueprint. What do you think? We have. And I there's one more thing I want to talk about with the blueprint as a whole, which is as we went through this, there's a whole bunch of what ifs and weird quandaries that have come about from the things we've we've been discussing. And that's where if you find any of those while you're mapping out your blueprint, this is the amazing part is you can narrow your perspective to just look at the piece that is confusing you and map it out again. So if things don't seem to be jiving and we don't understand how the magic of the totems compares to these elder entities that are coming through, we just do another blueprint from a different perspective where we are looking exclusively at the elder gods or we are looking exclusively at the original totemic magic before it got corrupted you can move your view around. In fact, that's where this is most powerful is you start taking multiple snapshots of your magic system from space and time, you know, moving forward in the plot line, moving back in the plot line, and using that to develop a complete comprehensive understanding of what your magic is and what it does. And I really think that your book does, you know, one of the best jobs that I've seen uh, in in helping people and guiding people towards what you're saying, creating a complete magic system experience, right? Like this blueprint, your book is designed to make sure that if you have a magic system, you will be able to really know and explore in every aspect to that system. Thank you. I appreciate that. It does, it does have some gaps that I want to explore in future books, specifically really digging into the mechanics of the system because we've done all of this and we know so much about the magic mm -hmm. but we've had very little conversation about specific magical effects and specific yeah. limitations and any specific rules or patterns that we want to put in the system that's still all to be decided there's a lot of details that remain to be defined and hammered out but the blueprint does give you the high conceptual understanding of everything yeah. And I think what you're talking about there with, you know, your, your books that, you know, will be, I think that's actually much harder to kind of nail down, right? Like you could, you could go with like a more generic, like kind of effects system or of some kind. Right. But I think that for the most part, I think that there's a lot more creativity or that's where I think a lot of the creativity can come in for writers, you know, like I think most people, when they create magical systems, already come into the idea with effects in mind. Usually. Usually, right? Like, because I, I think that that's where, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here, and I've been wrong before. I, I think that that's where I typically start when I think of magic and like, okay, what do I want my magic to look like? And then, you know, using your book, I create a, a, a rule set for it that I can use. That's where a lot of people start. That's not where everyone starts, which is right. part of why the seed crystal exists and how it came about. But the last thing I want to say about that, because you guys have given me so much of your time already, and I, I truly appreciate it, is if you're building a magic system and it's feeling 
generic and lame, don't worry about it because you're not done yet. Right. Because one of the phrases I like to toss around is that creativity is in combination and distinction is in the details. So if it feels lame and generic, that's just because you haven't gotten into your details yet. So don't worry about it. Absolutely. And and I do, from from a writer's perspective, I want to, you know, like push that as well. Like there's only ever been, you know, what is it, eight stories in total? It's all about how you tell them in the context and the flavoring and all that good stuff that you mix in there yourself. That's where it comes from. You know, there's the archetypes that we use for a reason. And yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Clark. Don't worry about being generic unless someone else tells you it's generic and only trust them if they're like a critic of, if they're, well, actually, if there's more of them, more, more of them than you anyway. All right. So Clark, we have, we have created this world using your magic blueprint system, you know, hugely. What I would like to do is I would like to roll some dice and randomize some shit and, you know, kind of contextualize it within the world that we've created thus far. So we normally make an anchor, uh, which is kind of what we focus on for parts of the story, parts of the setting. And I'd like to do that now with some random dice rolls. So let's see what happens, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So uh, remember that we've got the gothic horror setting. We've got we've got a lot of good ideas of where our setting is already. So let's go ahead and create a theme within that already established setting. And that theme's going to be glory. And the thing that we're focusing on within this theme is a relic. Okay. So I would love, considering that we have a gothic horror setting, the theme is glory, and we're focusing on a relic. To me, this says past glory or former glory. Yeah. And the relic itself, I would probably imagine, is either the first shard or the most important shard of the meteorite that fell down. What do you guys think? I was partially thinking it might be them trying to find a previous totem belonging to the family because the totems themselves will continue to exist after the people tied the people and animals tied to them die. So I could see them trying to find one of their ancestors totems and using that to try and reestablish and rebuild some of their former glory. Oh, I like that idea. I like so that something a lot. like pre-corruption. That's neat. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really great idea. Mm -hmm. And in, I mean, from a perspective aspect, I imagine that the matriarch is sending out her favored, you know, children, you know, they're like, okay, there's none of us left. The few of us that are like, I know that you're kind of corrupted. That's fine. You're still my favorite grandson. You're going to go out and you're going to find this thing. And, you know, like, I like the idea that the people who are on the quest feel some level of burden as a result. Okay. I, I was also thinking it would be cool yeah. just to have the badass grandma who was going on an epic Agreed. adventure. Agreed, yeah. I was thinking <laughs> that. I, I think it's really cool when you have like older protagonists. It's sort of unexpected in a fantasy setting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She could right. definitely bring her favorite grandkids along and that could introduce all kinds of weird things of her trying to 
suss out what the corruption is and how badly they're corrupted and what that mm-hmm. means. I mean, not only that, I think she's going to need fuel for her journey as well, right? <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. I like the idea of keeping the focus on an elderly character. I remember I had written this manuscript where the protagonist was an older man, and in their critique group, one of our, our people was like, oh, well, I really can't identify with this old person. Can you just make him younger? And I'm like, no, no, I what? can't. He's an old man, <laughs> goddamn you. you know? uh, that's terrible. Uh, I hope that on your next critique, you were like, so I can't really uh, <laughs> identify with your young person. <laughs> yeah, I can't really identify with this. Can you change a fundamental aspect about them? I know. I'm like, what kind of a comment is that? Yeah, no, that's wow. a bad comment. Uh, people who are in uh, writing groups, don't leave that comment. That's not a good comment to leave. Um, so, okay. So we've got an old woman out with some of her favorite grandchildren using some of them and some of her not favorite because she's got to use fuel. Like I said. Mm-hmm. They're the um, first to go. <laughs> so, so what's the relic that we're looking for, and why is it lost to the family? So, I had a question actually. What have we established previously about like what happens to the dinosaurs when the person they're linked with dies? Did they die we, too? We know their fate is bound. So, yeah. the main I assumption we I had taken from that was that when one of them dies, they both die. That's my assumption as well. Yeah. So- We've was, got a Dragonheart situation going on. I was wondering if we could fuck with the like consistency a bit and actually have the relic that they're looking for be like an ancient dragon who had some or ancient dinosaur who had somehow survived. Um, Ooh, like and they're that. like kind of looking for this like even like older um, type of dinosaur, maybe like something well, we, that's not around anymore. That I like that idea a lot. I love it. Uh, two things that I do want to uh, try and infuse here. One, got to have a ghost in there somewhere. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, two, I'm guessing that I, you know, because we have an older protagonist, we have the opportunity to use her memories and to use her age to our, you know, benefit for this story. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that she has seen this thing before when she was very, very young. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've kind of answered this for ourselves because before we had talked about there being some cases where that bond of fate gets broken and Mm, maybe one of them dies and the other one doesn't so it could be that her ancestor died but their their totem animal didn't Mm -hmm. and now the spirit of that ancestor is still floating around because that bond wasn't completely severed Mm -hmm. but for some reason it didn't completely get acted out. So there you go. Ghost, ghost dinosaurs. You could go either way, depending Perfect. on which one <laughs> died and which one didn't. Mm-hmm. All right. So what is the relic itself? Is it, it is, is it the like old totem that was carved that signified their bond? That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I mean, uh, again, I'm just thinking that this is probably to our matriarch this is the event that started the downfall of her family, of her clan, so to speak. Okay. Yeah. Like this, this event scarred her family. So, and it, and it's not true. Like we, as you know, the writers know that that's not true, but to her, this is the thing. This is the shame from her family that has caused this corruption in the magic. Like I see before this saying. event. Yeah. Before yeah, this yeah. event, Magic worked just fine. And now because this, you know, T-Rex ghost exists, guess what? 
now, now I've got a grandchild who doesn't even look like me anymore and is not human, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, that's perfect for this kind of tragedy because then she can go on this whole quest to rid this corruption of her family only to find out that the ghost that has been appearing to her has been trying to warn her the whole time. Mm. Yeah. And then she just killed off this creature that potentially could have helped her and she's still left with all the corruption. Oof. And there's there's always that theme of uh, futility as well within horror that I think mm. is interesting. Yeah. All right, Clark. So I think that that's going to do it for our world anchor. I think we've created a really interesting story here. I want to thank you so much for coming on here and walking us through the complete magic blueprint system with us. I think it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me here. Like it has, it's been great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is a general reminder. Clark's Indiegogo is still going on. So if you like what you heard, if you want to read more about, it, if you really want to dig into how magic systems can work and can work for you and your story, please, by all means, go check out his link. There is a link in the description of this episode, like I said. So with that being said, Clark, besides Indiegogo, where can people find you online? Best places to find me are my website, crrowinson.com, or on YouTube as The Magic Engineer, which should be a little easier to find me because apparently I have a couple of videos that are blowing up. So I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Hey, oh, that's, that's great. great. Yeah. And do check out the Indiegogo page. There's tons of perks and rewards for the different backer levels that I have built in there, including extra blueprints that aren't in the system, mapping out some common systems from different perspectives. Even if you want to buy the writer's bundle, I'll show up to your writing group and either give a presentation or just chill with you guys and give feedback. Like There's, there's fun stuff in there. That's great. Uh, it sounds like there's all sorts of benefits for people. Just people, no one dead. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. No, no ghost dinosaurs. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Uh, Clark is decidedly anti-dinosaur, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. <laughs> which which is funny. Like this, sorry, this has to be outside of. <laughs> we can cut the undead thing because on the actual page, I make a comment to the exact opposite of, of <laughs> there will be no <laughs> prejudice against the undead. <laughs> Well, you know, you're going to have to live with that, Clark, because it's out there on the radio now. I don't know what to tell you. I love that. You should put, yeah, definitely put that in the Kickstarter text. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that'll do it for this episode of World Build with us. Uh, remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. Click on the link and you can submit a prompt and we will build your world uh, within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, we are at Let's World Build. If you want to come join our Discord and chat with us and Clark, he's there sometimes, you can always do so with a link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous or you got $10 off of your Indiegogo starter and you're just, it's burning a hole in your pocket, you can support us on Patreon. Link for that also in the description. So remember that we love you very much and we're going to get through this together. Until